Imagine if you could dry, detangle, style, and volumize your hair all in one step. Well, it's easy with the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush by Conair. Create beautiful blowout styles at home with a powerful 1,000-watt motor for quick drying and Easy Glide Flexalite bristles for snag-free detangling. Customize styling with three heat settings and use the Cool Shot to lock in your look. Ionic technology reduces frizz, bonus attachment volumizes your hair, makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to Conair.com for the Not Doctor All-in-One Dryer Brush now. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Weff, and I'm joined as always by Tim. And Tim, it's life has been tough, hasn't it? Yeah, this is the third podcast when we start with this and life has been tough. So yeah, it has been very excited. But um, yeah, you know, this is the story of being a fan of a team. So yeah, like you said, before the pods, you get some good games and you get some not very good games and you have to, you know, stay with your team. So here I am. Uh, to be fair, you just came back from Venice Beach. Yeah, that is correct. So life <laughs> is not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually at this point, we would have Andrew Flint on this podcast, but he is busy, uh, in quotation marks, hanging out in Yekaterinburg covering football games. So <laughs> we had to find a replacement. And um, I did find a replacement, a very good replacement, and Alan Moore. And Alan Moore, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and explain what you do. You're based in Moscow right now, right? I am indeed. Uh, hi, Manu. Hi, Tim. Greetings um, from a very overcast and stormy Moscow. Uh, I, well, I mean, I've, oh, God, I mean, let's go back to the very start of kind of the, the first article I did with thanks to the USSR team when they were in Dublin in 1990. Uh, that kind of gives me my age, but I was only a, a high school student. Um, and then the first game I saw here was 91 uh, up in St. Pete's with the kind of in the very, very old Kiro Stadium. So ever since I've been kind of like hooked and dragged back. So the last 10 years I've been working mainly in uh, Russia and mainly in Moscow. Um, I spent many, many years working in, in sports here and before, of course, in Croatia, Malta and Germany. Uh, working with sports clubs and with players. Um, a few years ago, I kind of went back to my roots. I went back into journalism. So now I'm mainly working as a sports journalist. With uh, I have a show on Capital FM in Moscow and with a number of uh, agencies here in Moscow as well. So, yeah, I'm kind of hooked, dragged back into it, and I'm never given quite that much of a chance to escape. <laughs> well, I'm actually really curious now, Alan. How was that game like in the old Kiro Stadium? I'm just, I covered the, <laughs> the Confederation Cups and the Krestovsky, which is, of course, a super modern, multi-purpose, plastic, magic stadium. And you were at the old Kirov. I am, I am intrigued. It was a, it was a bone of a stadium. I mean, there were about, well, there were under, a thousand people at it. It was a second division game with uh, Rotter and Volgograd, uh, and one one. Um, it was in August, so it's like what 20, 26 years ago or more. About twenty six years ago this this month. Um, it, it was a bowl of a stadium, very basic. Uh, I do remember that they had toilets, which were um, let's say quite prehistoric in their layout. Um, and uh, we were there, we were looked after by a couple of local guys who really helped us out. And they were serving with the, the Navy at the time. So they kind of looked after us, brought us around. Uh, it was great fun. Um, but I, I would have to say that in terms of atmosphere, even like, you know, less than a thousand people did make a racket. It was a nice way, uh, place set up for acoustics, but it kind of took away from the football. So I'm kind of lucky I've been to all three of the St. Petersburg stadiums. Uh, but I agree with you, the, the new Kostovsky is just it's unbelievable. If they get it fixed properly, it will be it will definitely be one of the, the, the highlights of the World Cup next year. 
Yeah, I, I would go along with that. Maybe just to add that concrete bowl that you mentioned that that fitted a hundred thousand people, right? The old Kirov Stadium. And, and it, and it was so big that they were actually able to build the new stadium inside the, yes. uh, the old stadium. So <laughs> just, just to put that into perspective, and we're going to talk about the Kristofsky stadium and in this podcast, because it's a bit of a very interesting story right now going on with Senate and the, the way that they are filling the facility and the way, you know, you mentioned the World Cup. That's going to be perhaps what we're going to see after the World Cup with the many, many stadiums that are being built. But before we get there, I want to talk about, well, what's often called the small Moscow derby. Really, all the games involving uh, locomotive are called the small Moscow derby, aren't it? And be- be- because they are more or less the, you know, in the Soviet Union, they were called the, the weak chain of the Moscow clubs, which is, of course, a little bit unfair. But, um, you know, maybe a little bit of history behind this game. Uh, well, like you're, like you're absolutely correct. The locomotive is also in Russia called the fifth wheel of uh, the Moscow football. And given uh, the historical successes of Dynamo, CSKA, Spartak, and Torpedo, locomotive never was in Soviet time as successful as those four clubs uh, mentioned above. But obviously, in the 2000s, under Sermon, Lokomotiv won the league. They were doing very well in the um, Champions League. So they became a top club in Russia uh, at that given time. Obviously, if you take a look right now, if you'll be fair, not uh, looking at the historical successes, Torpedo Moscow is now the fifth wheel of, Mos- of, of Moscow football. But still, um, given the number of fans and support and the size of the club, Lokomotiv is still behind uh, CSKA and Spartak. And and, um, you know, given the problems with Dynamo, they're also, you know, not, no, obviously not the top club. So that's why it's, uh, it doesn't, it's not qualified as a big, big, big derby as the biggest game in, in Russian football. Uh, there's no such a big, uh, tensity between the fans. Spartak and Lokomotiv fans, they don't really like each other, but at the same time, there's no such hate, like between Spartak and Zenit and Spartak and CSKA. So uh, the, the tension is not as big, but still it's a game between two clubs. Every time Spartak plays, um, away in Lokomotiv, they, um, they feel the stadium which is a rare occasion for that uh, for them so uh, yeah so it's it's a derby but it's not a big of not as big of a derby as against Seskarzi yeah Alan you are in Moscow and you know from the time that I spend in Moscow you always get the sense that Lokomotiv are almost a little bit of the forgotten club yeah I mean I, I, you know, this year alone we, we obviously we, uh, our registration are partnered with Lokomotiv and are getting football team play, uh, play and train in Lokomotiv so you know, it's it, it's uh, it, it is what it is. There's always been tradition the smaller club. I mean, they they of course had the backing from Russian railways, which is very helpful because in front of all the other teams or ahead of all the other teams, they got their stadium built. Uh, it's still a nice place. It's a great um, uh, facility out there. Um, but you know, they're more of a family club. It is smaller. Um, of course, at the Super Cup this year, that the the stadium was full, was packed. And you would have probably had 60 to 70 percent of the fans were for Spartak, and the remainder were for Lokomotiv or just watchers, like you know, like uh, game day watchers. Um, at the game on Saturday, it was kind of funny when uh, Lokomotiv, you know, they, they were so good. I mean, they, they should have had two goals early on, they were attacking, they were playing well, and you know. Their, their fans are making noise, but still you could just see that they were still a kind of like small club. Um, you know, it was right. I mean, you know, Dynamo have taken steps back. Uh, Torpedo were kind of non-existent right now, and um, you know, since for all of like their success, they're they're still suffering. Like especially people coming through the gates, they're they're having very poor turnouts. So, Lokomotiv, I think, yeah, they're the third Moscow club right now, um, but hopefully they're growing little by little because. Both Spartak and Siska need a third team to push them, especially in terms of attendance, because it will make both their, those clubs better. I remember I wrote an article back when uh, Spartak opened the Odkriti Arena, and it was an example of um, you know how Lokomotiv were doing a lot better after they opened the their new stadium in 2000, I believe it was. And the average yeah. attendance went from somewhat like it was three or 4,000 a game to over 14,000, um, for, for some time, which is, you know, the, the, the locomotive stadium isn't not a huge facility. I believe it holds 23,000. And, um, 
you know, that was a, that was a ma- massive push for them. They basically tripled their attendance just because of the new facility and because it was the first modern stadium built in, uh, post-Soviet Russia. So it was, it's, it's an interesting case of what actually happens once a club builds a new stadium and, you know, how that attracts new viewers. And I get a sense every time I go out to do where locomotive play that it's a very young club, that the fans are very young, the people that support the club are very young. Um, we know, of course, uh, Ilya Sokolov, who, who supports them. Um, he, when I asked him, why do you support them as well as he, his dad, I think, believe he supported Dynamo and he just wanted to support, um, someone different and he liked the logo. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it shows you that, you know, there, there isn't that, they don't have deep historical roots, despite the fact that, you know, they are attached to a, a, a former Soviet ministry in the Russian railways. So it's a really interesting phenomena of a club, really, when you when you consider the the, the roots and the the histori- history behind it. And you know, Alan, we are of course we're foreigners, um, but locomotive seems to attract a lot of foreigners. I always get when I always when I go, I see foreigners uh, posing in front of the locomotive and taking pictures of themselves. So it seems to be a club that's very well loved abroad. Well, yeah, that's that's you know very very well regarded. I mean, because they're very open, and I mean, you go into locomotive, and almost everybody inside in the office, like um, you know, in, in most places, has some level of, for example, of English. Uh, where you know, when I was working Spartak, you might have had out of maybe one out of every twenty would have English. Uh, Dinamo probably are the same, and Siska would be the same or even less. So, you know, they're they're very. It's a different kind of people that are, are working with them, and um, and also it's a very racially mixed club, and um, because of their roots, shall we say, and their roots being railway tracks going across the Soviet Union, they have a lot of different people following them. So um, and and they continue to grow with that, and because where they're based in eastern Moscow, there will be um, you know the people who, who, who you know they're either new arrivals to Russia. Uh, new arrivals to Moscow, so it's obviously cheaper housing, including for, for me when I was many, many years ago based there and then working with the club, it was cheaper to rent an apartment there than on the west side of the city. So, you know, if you like football, you go there straight away. And there is that kind of a kind of a, a nice element to it, that they have a nice stadium, the seats are great, even paying 300 rubles for a seat, um, and they're very welcoming. Uh, now, that's not to say, uh, you know, guys, you know, I mean, for for a few years, they had a management in place that really drove them backwards. Mm. So, you know, last year was the first year of trying to rebuild trust with fans uh, and your know, players, and this year's the second year. So, you know, even though that they had that lovely openness about them, they were not severely backed for a couple of years by uh, Mrs. Smorodskaya and her her crew, you know, but they're, they're building little by little, but um, they still are way behind the kind of major brands like uh, Spartak, of course, number one, far and away, and this guy in second place. Yeah, and I, wa- I want to, you know, before we go and talk a bit, a bit more about the, the little bit of a resurrection, we should probably talk to what they did this weekend, because, you know, they did beat Spartak, uh, sorry, Tim, but... <laughs> That that was an enormous result, and the, the final result was four three. But we also have to keep in mind that uh, Quincy Promise scored a very very late goal to make it four three. So the, you know the result was actually probably a bit more decisive than what it looks like when you just see you know the scorecard at the end of the ninety minutes. Um, Alan, you were at this game. What did you make of this game in particular, and uh, what did you make of Locomotive's performance? So uh, the day before, I'd had a meeting with one of the project directors um, about some, well, actually about some radio stuff that uh, we were going to do together, and um, he, he told me that you know Mr. Fadun is losing his patience with the uh, Italian head coach uh, Massimo Pereira, that he has two games to go, um, and that that didn't make sense to me because you know okay they've had a lull to start the season, but they're going to you know bring in some new players, and uh, you know kind of. You know, turn their attention to the Champions League and do well. Uh, and I mean, they've got some fabulous players, like you said. Quincy Palmer is just unbelievably good, and he's not going to move. I hope because Russia needs you know superstars like him uh, lighting up the league. Where from the very start, I mean, Lokomotiv were all over them. They they fluffed their lines. They missed chances. Um, it did. You know, the goal, the first goal Sparta got was completely against the run of play. The second goal scored then was very quickly followed by Samedov sending off for a second yellow, which, you know, 
at the time in the stadium, we were sitting together, a few of us, we were looking at the, the GIF, and we're thinking, oh, that we don't know if it's sending off, but you know, when some out then afterwards in the mix zone came out and said, Look, I'm sorry that you know I cost us the game. Um, after half time, of course, go went in, there was you know, there's only one team going to win us, and it, it looked very, very bad for Spartak. Um, and something very, very strange that uh, Massimo Guerrero couldn't get his side like they did last season to just shut up shop and to, to control the ball, control midfield. And do a sort of a four-four-one and keep it very, very simple. Uh, the players panicked, and honestly, were not for Serikov taking off some wonderful saves. Um, you know, it could have been far worse. Uh, but at the same time, I think this weekend Spartak will turn to against Havaros. But um, I, as a Spart- I, you know, for Spartak fans, I, I would never be worried about them because they they have a huge amount of talent. And if uh, Linus Vadun sticks. With Carrera, they you know they they will uh, turn this corner and get better. Well, Tim, then I want to hear your perspective on this game as a Spartak <laughs> fan. <laughs> we'll talk about whether they're going to turn the corner in a moment. But what did you make of this game? Well, like obviously bias, and to me it was a game of two halves. And uh, the there are, in my opinion, there are a few reasons why the score was like that. Obviously, Spartak right now is not in the best uh, form, as we can see from the past results but uh first of all and i'm not saying that it was a referee mistake i'm just saying that the samedov's red card really turned the game around in my opinion and it's not like spartak was had the game actually the game i don't think spartak was deserved to lead to to nothing after the first half but that was the story and uh if uh, in my opinion if uh, samedov's red card would have not happened it would have been easier for spartak to play but um, you know, it's always uh, should have, could have. Uh, this is what we had. And actually, Samedov, after the game, uh, like Alan uh, referred to, he went out to public and said, I take the blame. It was my mistake. We lost this game because of me. So in my opinion, this is a very big, dis- like very big things to say. And then after that, Lokomotiv turned the game around. And um, the second reason, in my opinion, why this has happened, it was... Um, I have to be careful saying that, but like a coaching staff, let's call it an error or, you know, it's obviously easy to say now, but, uh, and I'm saying uh, coaching staff this time, not Massimo Carrera, because Massimo Carrera went on Match TV um, a couple days ago and uh, he was asked about the question about after, you know, changing the formation, the, the, the question about the formation. And he said that the question was, why didn't you use three central defenders and why did you put Melgarejo on? And his answer was that we consulted with our coaching staff and Roman, uh, Roman Pilipchuk, who is the assistant coach, suggested to play 4-4-1 and use Melgarejo as a substitute. So obviously that didn't work out. They have Tricky on the bench. They had Fernando on the bench. So that was decision. And this is the first time when Massimo Carrera publicly said, not us, not me. He mentioned Roman Pilipchuk. So I'm not sure what that means, if it was just a casual, you know, mention how it happened, or if he tries to share the blame uh, with uh, Roman Pilipchuk. To, I don't know what's going on there, but that's that's how he said it publicly, that it was uh, our collective discussion and Roman Pilipchuk suggested to play 4-4-1. Obviously, that didn't work out. Like, and as any Italian coach, what we can expect, that he would go to three central defenders and play a little, like, shut up the shop. But, you know, we'll have what happened, what happened. And the third reason, I think, if Lokomotiv were brilliant, like uh, the Fernandes, the kind of game he played, and uh, generally, like, we just, I just give all the respect to Lokomotiv and uh, that second half, that technically they won for nothing. Like you said, Manu, the promise goal didn't really change anything. But, like, really losing 2 nothing the first half and then winning the second one 4-0, 4-1, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's just just a great comeback, and it's all hats off to Sermon and... Um, to the players. So, congrats to them. It's, it's a well-deserved win. I don't think Spartak deserved to get anything out of this game, um, but this is how I saw the, the match. And this game was at the Otkritia Arena, Tim. You know, you were playing at home, so you know, it wasn't like that this game where it was taking place at the locomotive and, um, you know, that there was, that you would have any pressure of being away. Um, it's, it seems an odd result considering you know where where did this game took place it is you you're right um it's yeah like especially the second half didn't look like we 
it's it's all the same problems which we had in the previous derbies. There was not the same intensity as the last year. There's not the same physical condition. You can see that Spartak in the end of the games. Um, there's a statistics that Spartak, I think, don't quote me on that, but the exact number, but I think we um, conceded 13 goals and 11 out of those goals were conceded in the second half. You know, that's a pretty impressive uh, statistics that definitely in the second half for whatever reason is it physical is it whatever it is um spartak is not playing as good as in the first half so questions to the to the physical condition to the coaching stuff um but obviously you're absolutely right you know playing at home you need to have this extra um, excitement the support of the fans go forward and uh, do the game but obviously that didn't happen um yeah like a you know, not the not the most exciting topic for uh, for me to to accept. But um, you absolutely learned. like I'm I'm very impressed with Lokomotiv, and I saying it here publicly, they deserve the victory. Alan, um, Tim points out something really important here: physical. How did you perceive that sitting in the the press box at Alkite? Was it noticeable that the Spartak, um, you know, kind of lost steam in the second half? No, I, I didn't. Did not really. They kept up their intensity. I mean, they weren't beaten for pace at any stage. Uh, nothing's changed with their backroom staff. They're still the same people doing the physical training and so on that were there last year. Um, I think it's just it, it was a case of momentum as well. Um, of course, the Shemeta sending off did affect them, but they didn't go in ten men and become stronger, tougher, more resilient. Um, but uh, this time they didn't seem to um, have that fight. I mean, there's huge pressure there um, for first Spartak and for their players. I mean, you know, of course it was a it was a it was a locomotive team that came without a striker. You know, they they, they had they have injuries. They have players missing. Um, I spoke with Ro- Roman uh, Zobnin during the game, and he was up in Hamburg this week. Uh, or today in Hamburg, or come back from Hamburg today, getting it. Medical check. Um, so both teams were not, you know, can't say they're at their best. Um, I, I, I think it's just kind of a, it's a momentum thing. And once they, once they get a bit of confidence behind them, they'll do better. And uh, you know, as anyone who's played the game, watched the game, once one team starts to get a run and starts to get their tail, gets their tails up, it's very, very difficult. Um, for you know, for them to be stopped, and I think that, that that's what happened with them the other night. That they just you know kept going, kept going. Uh, but looking team just had that bit of confidence, and they played a little bit freer as well. And the one thing I mean that Manuel Fernandez was just he was unbelievably good. So you know he, he kind of controlled the game. He had so many touches on the ball. He, he was great. Um, you know I, I you know there was a kind of um, in the in the I think we were tweeting together. Um, I know that um, you know a lot of the, the media as soon as uh, they were very you know, there were some of them were kind of rude towards uh, Mas Guerrero but when uh, Yuri Simin came in they were immediately rude and aggressive towards them uh, of course there were uh, Spartak uh, supporters masquerading or whatever you know as, as, as we know with Sport Express but um, you know they were saying oh how come you had so much water and the Spartak guys didn't. Uh, like, there was just excuse after excuse, but it's like, guys, you know, uh, it was one game. When Spartak are still in the Champions League, they will they will turn it around. And uh, I think it, it could be something that they needed a good kick in the pants. They were very unlucky against this guy to lose. In all fairness, they just didn't close out the game. Um, you know, I, I don't... You know, I don't think it's physical. I think it's more that... They just are lacking a bit of confidence at the moment, and um, I would I would hope that if they can just you know Zobnin when he gets back I think will turn it around, but that's going to be quite a way away. Mm-hmm. Alan, just a question, something that uh, warned me when we started talking about that you talked to somebody at the club and they said that Fidun is losing patience. Can you please elaborate on that because I find this this is very troubling. Like if Fidun is losing patience with Carrera. I don't like this. Could you please uh, <laughs> talk a little bit about it? Sure. I mean, it, it, was, it was simply that, you know, this was kind of a, a chat we were having. I mean, I, I put it out before the game that this is, he has two games to survive. 
uh, if he loses or doesn't win these one or two games, that Fadun will send him packing. Uh, Fadun is, is quite often like this. I saw it when I was working with the club back in 2012-13, how he was reacting with uh, Emery and then Carpin and you know, it's very, very unstable. Um, and this, this could be, you know, I, I would hope that he won't do it again because man needs some time to develop. Like, you know, like um, Romancev was or uh, like Siomin. I mean, there were stories. Actually, a Spartak journalist came to me and said, um, oh, you hear uh, Siomin's going to be sacked. This is before the game. I'm going, no. I said, uh, I was at Lokomotiv and there's nothing like that. I was up at the president's office. Nothing is is taking place as that. And he said, the Spartak journalist said, oh, the, um, I should say the Spartak supporting journalist said that, uh, oh, um, Ilya, because he, he doesn't like Xiaomi. And I'm like, well, not really. That, that's that's just nonsense. Um, and, and a lot of it is like that, you know, uh, with Ilya Gerkus, who of course is the uh, president of Bokhmuti, he's just letting it build. He brought in a German specialist, uh, ex um, uh, sport director and director of academy, their academy, uh, Eric Stoffelshaus, and he's given him free hand to try and push things through. Um, they've signed Ed Air, of course, today, the uh, guy who scored the winner for Portugal in uh, last year's Euros. So they're, they're being patient. And I think Fadu needs to do that because Carrera does need time. Uh, he needs to get some extra players in, he needs to tighten up his defense. Um, with ex, you know, with extra players, especially for with you know Spartak fighting on three fronts quite short, uh, quite soon. So it, it is worrying. Like Tim, I, you know, Tedun is capable of anything, uh, but fingers crossed he won't do that. You know, and I'm not a Spartak fan. I'm a Volgolianovsk fan, but I would just hope he would show, show sense and just let him uh, do his job. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you because, like, second, like, to me, this is crazy. Like, after what uh, Carrera did, and you can see that it's not falling apart. Uh, food, like, you know, of course, we lost a couple of games, but it's not like it's a complete, like you said, we were unlucky to lose against SK. This game, uh, you know, we had a great first half, so I don't see there's a footballing problem. To me, what it seems, there were some issues with transfers. I heard the rumors, you know, obviously I don't live there, but I read a lot of uh, press, which is Spartak around, and like, uh, there was some conflicts between Carrera and uh, the managing staff and the stuff. Um, in terms of uh, transfers, I thought that could have been the the issue if he, you know, if he maybe doesn't fully trust Carrera with his transfer choices. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to say because um, he was very like what's behind. Um, it could be the case that he's holding back money uh, simply because you know he wants to see what Carrera can do with what he has. Uh, however, every club needs to. Improve. Now they have, like, they have good players as it is. They, you know, they've brought in good players over, you know, in the last, in the last say, two tra- transfer windows. Um, do you need the next couple of players? Like the Nyanga um, uh, transfer seems to be just constantly caught up in God knows what. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, Fedun is a strange guy. Um, he likes to micromanage everything, including like Luke Goyle and the different banks he owns and Spartak. Um, if he would just step back and let the professionals run the show, it, it might be better. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. A, that's a very good point because you know we have that we have spoken about Leonid Fudun in the past and his mingling, and we were all kind of impressed that he didn't do it last season. Mm-hmm. And um, you know we identified that last year as the one of the one, number one reasons why Spartak actually ended up winning the title, right, Tim? Absolutely. And um, you know. It is it is worrying when you when you hear rumblings of Leonid Fidun um, being Leonid Fidun. You know he's a very very successful businessman. You know he's um, the right hand man. Um, I believe it's Alak Barov who owns Luke Oil, so he's the right hand man of that of him. And he you know the little banks and all the stuff that he owns. And there's questions, of course, about how much Luke Oil are actually involved in the club as well. So. You know, there's all this this kind of stuff going on, and last year you didn't have that, and you know, that's really that's really you know really raises a question to me is, 
transfers because when you think about it, at this point, Spartak haven't really done that much. And you're quite right, Alan. Every team always needs to improve. And um, yeah. they brought in Marko Petkovic and Mario Pazalic, and that's it. Um, there's, there has been a lot of talk about Luan, of course, the Brazilian. And um, from what I understand is that that transfer is basically um, not happening right now because... Because of the Neymar situation, right? Because so many clubs around the world are more feeling the Neymar effect and they're all kind of waiting and seeing what's happening. You know, we have at Dortmund, we have the Usman Dembele situation at Liverpool, we have Coutinho. Then, uh, there's, um, at Nice, there's the, uh, I forgot his name, the Seri, I believe, who is linked with both Liverpool and Barcelona. And then Barcelona have signed Paulinho from China and, you know, no one, Signing a player like Luan, who could replace so many different players around the world, it seems very, very difficult right now because so many clubs around the world are looking at him. And um, I, I almost feel like until, you know, the, the big hitters, Dortmund and Liverpool, know what they're going to do on the transfer window, it's going to be very hard to bring in a player because it looks like that Spartak is also targeting players that seem to be at least in the vicinity or indeed in the sphere of those players that Dortmund yeah. and Liverpool are looking at to to replace um, in case Coutinho or Dembele leave, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, if, if you look at what, like, you know, what the, the players at Spartak have at their disposal, um, I mean, Blusikov is, is unbelievably good. Uh, they've got Marshalic, who came in from, was, you know, from Chelsea. So, I mean, they've got very good players. They've got Selikov, I think, is a very good player. Mochetti um, is he's terrific. They've hung out to Quincy Proman. So, I mean, it's 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 all a question. Yeah, you're right. I think it, it, there is that big thing of the, the, the how do you call it, the, um, as, you, as you said, the, the Neymar effect and how that's like having a knockdown and everything. You know, I, I think it's very difficult for, for any club right now to, to go into the transfer market and you know, even right now, like you know, we we have um, like Artyom Juba, who's being forced out of Zenit, and his he wants to return. He, he definitely fixed point. He wants to return, of course, to Moscow if he has to leave. And Lokomotiv are top of his list. You know, so like his Spartak needs to be getting players of a better quality than Lokomotiv, stay ahead of Lokomotiv. But if if Juba goes to, to Lokomotiv, then they have you know, a very good attacking lineup once Ari comes back. And Spartak will not have that kind of depth of talent, you know, to, to, to call on. And that's that's the issue. They've got some very good young players. They've got uh Reb Rob will come back, he's a good goalkeeper, but they need they need more, they do need more. So it could be wait and see. And you know, we've got just over a week till the end of the um to the end of the transfer window. So anything can happen. Do you still think Lokomotiv are going after Suba after they signed Eda today? Of course, Eda is the guy that scored the game-winning goal for Portugal at Euro 2016. Do you think that's still on on their radar? It could be. I mean, it, it, in one way, it, you know, they, they, they're they're trying to give youth its fling and to give a chance to younger players to get them to do, you know, to to, to step up. Um, he'd be a great addition to any club, I believe, uh, once he plays. Uh, I think he, he'd be terrible to come into um, Spartak, come back to Spartak because I think that Spartak really they don't need him. I, I think he's in some ways he's a better player, he's a better target man than Luis Adriano. But coming back to where he once was, I think would be quite tough. Lokomotiv, it'd be a good destination for him. Should will Lokomotiv get him? I don't know. Should they get him? I, I think yeah. I think they do. They do. They do need someone like him to add a bit of bite up front. Now. Tim, if you could play a match in a football manager, who would you sign for Spartak to turn us around? Oh, good question. Uh, half of Borussia Dortmund squad? <laughs> <laughs> well, those, are, those guys are off limit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if we talk just, yeah, if we talk just transfers, something really weird happened yesterday. Like, and again, I'm basing it all the, uh, just on the news that, um, like like you said, Manu, like uh, Spartak was going after Luan, then they were going after uh, Garay, and those both deals didn't happen. And from what I understand, the new person who 
was hired as the one of the uh, top uh, managers, Nail Ismailov, he was in charge of those uh, transfers, and both of those transfers failed. And there was a message yesterday that um, uh, Spartak uh, management gave pretty much Carrera to go ahead. And we know that uh, Massimo Carrera is very close to Italian agent uh, whose name is Trabuki. Mm-hmm. So it pretty much means that they kind of saw that Nail Ismailov didn't close two deals, which were like we were saying on this podcast, which were pretty much in the bag. He didn't close those deals. And then the management and by management, I mean, Fidun decided to switch this, um, the way of doing transfers and pretty much ga- gave Trabuki and Massimo Carrera go ahead. And after that happened, I saw three new rumors about three new players. So f- the way I understand what happened is that as soon as Ma- Marco Trabuki got the go ahead, he's starting scouting and talking to players. And this is where the rumors are coming in. So to me, this is not a very good sign because mm. it's obviously in the middle of a transfer window, you change pretty much the, the transfer policy, the transfer um, strategy. I'm not sure how correct I'm at that. This is only my guesses. I don't have obviously any insider's information, but this is how I see the things are happening and I think Spartak will be very active um, with this go-ahead in the last week of transfers window and I expect probably a couple of players who are linked to Marco Trabucchi who have maybe Italian experience. There's talks about Jan who used to play in Milan. Obviously, there's a connection uh, for Trabucchi. And there's a few couple other Italians rumors which we heard uh, right now around Spartak. I think this is this is what's happening. I don't think... I wasn't depressed that, you know, Nail Ismaili not closing two deals, which, like you said, are pretty much in the bag. And like you said, Neymar effect probably played a part of it. Mm. But at the same time, it, the result, there was nothing was done. And there's a complete switch of transfer policy the way I see it. And that little bit worries me. But again, we still have a week. But it's it, this is, to me, complete difference between this season and last season. On the f- first day of the training in the beginning of the year, uh, Carrera had four new players. Jikia, Selikov, Luis Adriano, and Sametov. They were ready to train. Now, we left everything to the last week of the transfer window. And that shows just a complete different uh, change in mentality. I don't care what happened. You, I'm just talking the facts. That in the beginning of the last season, we had four new players. Now we have two new players, which arrived sometime in the middle of the season. And um, we're still waiting on the new players to arrive. So that doesn't make me happy. But this is the way I see what's going on in transfers uh, in Spartak right now. Yeah, Alan, maybe the final point to you. Is this too little too late if they're now going to complete some deals? We have eight days to go to the, until the transfer window closes. I, I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward for that window to close, but <laughs> eight days to go. Um, is that too little too late, maybe? No, um, no, not really. I mean, they, they, they you know, what they have is good. You know, they've added two players to the first team this year. They have some good young lads coming through from youth development. Um, you know, they're, they're now, you know, Sergei Rodionov is, is running the club uh, on behalf of Pidun. So he's, he is, you know, trying to stabilize. But, you know, Tim is right. I mean, there's, a, there's always like the battles within Spartak and different factions. Uh, it's not helped by the pressure fans are putting on the, uh, let's say, the, the, the management and so on and, and like the the you know the display of Massimo career at the last game uh, that's continued on. I mean he's he's desperately clinging to the hope that the fans will you know continue back like to do. So is that good if they just continue through uh, to the the end? Uh, yeah, I think it, it, it's it's good uh, if you know they just keep going and maybe get one more player. Uh, too little, too late. No, uh, no, no. They'll they'll turn around. They have quality, and they have a quality coach, and they've uh, you know they've got a huge fan base. So um, I would hope that they won't, because they, we we you know, we need Spartak to to be competitive in the league to keep a bit of spark on for the rest of the clubs, because they bring fans out mm. and they bring fans to their games. Uh, so no, I I think it's still it's only seven games into the season. Uh, they've got the Champions League to come. They've got the Russian Cup to come. So um, one good player. Could turn it all around. Oh, see, that's very positive. And I think, well, with some, we wrap Spartak up with that. I want to talk about a different club now. Uh, Ruben Kazan, 
Had a very good match day. Demolished Anshi Mahachkala 6-0. And then sold their striker to Hannover 96 for 9 million euros, I read today. And um, that sum has been confirmed from my sources in the Bundesliga. So 9 million euros for Jonathas um, and this nice 6-0 winner. It's pretty safe to say um, that Kurban Bedeev, speaking about good coaches and uh, good teams, they they don't really need him and, you know, all of a sudden have really nicely um, you know, freed up some transfer money if they need to strengthen any area of the squad, don't they, Tim? Yeah, this is, <clears throat> you know, this is, to me, was a very interesting and a bit of unexpected transfer to Jonatas to Hanover. But the most what something really struck me at the Birdiev's press conference. He said, um, there was a question, like, obviously, like, if you just look at the game, I, I'm not very involved with Rubin, so I just really follow a little bit. But to me, it was when I was watching the highlights. So Jonathan scores two goals and then being taken off. Like, yeah. this is, this is a strange decision. And he went and then straight he, to the airport and flew to Hanover. <laughs> exactly. No, but like, this is actually what happened. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like what kind of like like this never happens in professional football. Um, and then obviously Berdeev was asked about it, and he said, "We have financial problems. You know our financial problems, and this is the reason we've we sold Jonatas, and we will lose a few more plans. And that to me is a very strange situation because remember, Manu, before the season we talked about Berdeev going to Rubin, and we had the we we talked about it that he has this big company backing backing him up, and to be quite sure. To be quite honest, I'm not sure where the um, those financial troubles are coming from and why are they losing players. Uh, Rubin has a very strong squad, we know, but this is a question I was actually I was curious to hear your opinion, guys. Why do you think Rubin has financial troubles, given they're backed up by the strong company and then that uh, they're from Kazan, which is a very wealthy area of uh, Russia? Well, Alan, I'm uh, going to actually throw that straight at you. Uh, well, I mean, Kazan, uh, Ben Rofen Kazan, there we poor last in Ulyansk, and um, talking to some of the guys in Kazan, I mean, or from Kazan, the the main issue in Kazan is that a lot of the wealth has been based um, mainly on oil and gas, so that took a huge hit, obviously. And uh, you've got Tatnet and so on, so they basically have been hammered uh, by oil, falling oil and gas prices, so... The kind of and the central investment into Tatarstan had stopped. Uh, mm. from, so they so they they are financially in trouble. Uh, they they do have some very good players, and one guy actually with a, there's an article on Russian Football News about this quite soon. And um, Jan Imvila, who of course we know played with uh, Milan or in in, in Inter Milan, he played uh, with Sunderland and Ren and uh, was had a big scandal when he had signed the contract with Dinamo, and then they basically broke the contract and that's been an arbitration since um, he's back on form and this is a guy who you know has I think 20 odd French caps as far as I remember um, and he's a really really dominant player so you know he scored a goal uh, last week he was involved in one other goal Jonathan was he's a terrific player but good for him and great for Hanover that he's gone and he'll score goals there uh, he's definitely in the Bundesliga he's a 10 goal a season player for sure uh, but you know, Kazan have had money for quite some time. There's always the factions um, fighting, which is one of the reasons why uh, Berde have moved in the first place. Uh, however, home is where his heart is, and I mean, he's been with that, you know, he's been with that club since they were in the amateur league in Division Three. So he, he just reinvigorated them, and people will come back and support them, especially from the government. But they, you know, Kazan looks rich, but they don't have the same level of oil and gas money as they would have had, say, for example, 10 years ago, and certainly not five years Yeah, but Alan, uh, one of the big issues, of course, is that um, with oil and gas, it always goes up and down, right? And yeah. and um, the base money, we see that now with what Gazprom are doing with, with Senate, the amount of money that they're investing in Senate at this very moment it's just staggering. So, you know, even when oil and gas is down as it is right now, there is still enough money to run a football team because we're talking about companies making billions rather than millions, right? And 
Uh, football clubs are really a cheap endeavor when you when you put it next to an oil or gas company. I, I would always put Ruben has been such a funny one, and you mentioned all the fractions involved and the the different levels of government. Officially, Tatneft is the the owner, but in in reality, it's actually the Republic of Kazan, right? That uh, the right. the owner of the club. So it's it's always seems to me that it depends on really who runs the government. What involvement the, the federal government has, you know, uh, Putin, of course, right now is trying to take the, uh, semi-independent status away from the Republic of Tatarstan. So that I'm sure plays a role. Um, it, it's, it's such an odd club because it's such a government represented club, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you're right. I mean, it's, 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 it, it's it is the property of the Republic of Tatarstan. You, you're right to point out that you know, they have had, you know, there are moves to reduce their autonomy. Uh, but I mean, they would have, say, half the budget, um, like half the budget of uh, Sparta, for example. Mm. Um, they have less money than Krasnodar, which is a, it, it, it's quite an interesting story in itself. You know, so they, they would be the mid-table team. And uh, Tatnet, for, you know, for the, for the oil and gas that's there in Tatarstan, they're still only... You know they are nationwide, but it's still a relatively small company when you compare to say uh, Luke Oil, for example, which is international and so on. So you know, of course, they're bigger than Amcar uh, in terms of they you know, they would have less even uh, as far as I know, they would have even less money than local team. So they're they're doing the best of what they have. They're a terrific trainer and gets the best of kind of stability within the club. I don't believe it's going to happen soon, but. You know, let, let's hope, let's hope it will. Mm. Yeah, Tim, I think if any coach can, you know, put pieces together and, uh, form a cohesive unit out of players that A, are don't getting paid or B, are not wanted, then it would be Corbin Bedeev, right? Absolutely. The best, uh, the best probably coach who can do that in Russia. Um, but as we saw when he had financial troubles in Rostov, that didn't stop them for, uh, playing successfully in Champions League and also from, um, you know, doing extremely well in Europa League. So from that point of view, I think he will still do a great job because like we mentioned, he has, still has a pretty good squad. Even if a few key players would leave, I'm looking at their squad right now. It's a very, very strong squad. So I'm not really, I'm confident in, in Birdiev to get the result, but to be quite honest, well, it's hard to say. You don't really should. You shouldn't be guessing. But you know, I see them fighting confidently for the top five spots. Uh, and, and the only reason I'm saying that is Kurban Birdiev. Just his experience, his p- p- um, p- previous um, successes give uh, Rubin fans the confidence that everything's going to be fine, even they're going through those um, oil and gas uh, f- related financial problems. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, I, yeah sorry, I'll go. I, I backed him on that. That very, very good coach. He knows how to get the best out of players. Um, and he, he's a very good technician. He's a very good technician. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, uh, they, they, by the budget alone, they're a mid table team. As far as I know, they're back on track with paying players. That's from the, the Footballers Union. Uh, Roman Chirocco's footballers, they, they like that. Rubin are, are, are paying back wages, they're looking after players. That's going to motivate them. So, if they can push, yeah, top, top five spot, fifth spot, a place in Europe next season, definitely, definitely not out of reach for them. Yeah, that's, I, I would back that. I think top five. Uh, I just want to point this out real quick. Um, you know, uh, that's, that's something that really surprised me when I, when I, when I saw the result, when I saw, um, snippets of the game. Gök Dennis, Kara Dennis, 37 year old winger. He's still at it. He scored a goal and, uh, he's captaining the side. So good for him. It's, uh, I remember, wow, this is now 10 years ago, 10 years ago when I was the first time in Kazan, he was playing there already. So he's there again. <laughs> I think he was gone in between. So it's not, it's nice to see some familiar faces. Um, I think Corbin Badeev was already the coach back then too. So I feel like, you know, I'm a, I'm in a time wrap and, uh, 
stuck eternally with Corbin Berdeev and Gökhan Karadenis. So there's that. But yeah, um, moving forward and definitely moving forward is, you know, World Cup is next summer. And um, we got a little taste of the World Cup and its facilities during the Confederations Cup last summer. And we had some issues about, you know, whether the clubs are going to fill, be able to fill the stadiums. And some of the stadiums are quite large. And the Krestovsky Arena in St. Petersburg is an example. And I remember we talked about how Zenit's move from the Petrovsky to the Krestovsky could be a difficult one because they're used to playing in the small intimate stadium that one of in my opinion the Petrovsky may be the best atmosphere in Russian football I know Tom you're probably going to disagree but <laughs> <laughs> we were worried that that atmosphere might get lost <laughs> right I agree with you it's a, it's a terrific when it starts to rock it rocks so yeah it, it's a great spot I'm going to move on that <laughs> well, but, you know, we were, we were worried that that would get lost when they moved to the Krestovsky. And now, um, there's some numbers for the Krestovsky stadium that have come out, um, on sports RU. And the, we have to point out the stadium will hold 68,000 for the, the World Cup. And it's 54, it's, it's registered for 54,000 for Russian football Premier League games. And, uh, Zenit have averaged 45,700 per game, which is 80% capacity. That's pretty good, Alan. Um, that's probably better than what we expected, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, let's, let's be honest. I mean, Zenit doesn't really have any competition in town. It's a one-club town. And, you know, from being there, I mean, it's just, mm. it's, it's Zenit ska. That's it. So hockey ska, football Zenit. Yeah. And there's a big... You know, and um, you know, it's it, it's a great to see the stadium being built. I think it'll be one of the very few, other than the Daniel Pritchard Arena, that will be um, you know filling you know more than half the games, more than fifty percent. And um, I think it, it it'll it'll do well for Zenit, and it might give them a bit of an advantage over the clubs. Um, but of course, ticket prices are the other question as well. Mm. The ticket prices are overly high, but then again. You know, it's based on what the local people are earning, so it is quite realistic. Yeah, and that's that's what he's going to get at next, because uh, <laughs> Sanit are cheating, right, Alan? They're giving away tickets for free. <laughs> I mean, every club does the same. I mean, I yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't for that. I, uh, I would, I would probably say that they're 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 very good. They're a very professional club in terms of marketing. Yeah, far better than. I think the only club that's catching them up now will be Lokomotiv. Um, other clubs. For example, Siska, they have just shot themselves so badly, they just don't quite seem to get it. They know as well, they've, they've gone a few steps back. They, they kind of, um, they need to sort of uh, get themselves back together to move forward again in terms of the marketing and so on, because they will suffer an attendance drop uh, if, you know, regardless of how they, how they do with the way that the tickets are priced and ticket schemes and so on. Uh, for example, uh, the lowest price ticket for last week's game was uh, fifteen hundred rubles. Uh, so it's for you know it's like twenty dollars. Yeah, it's a lot. That's, that's quite a bit, you know. So people, that's actually more twenty dollars. It's like uh, twenty five dollars. Right? Oh, that's almost thirty dollars actually, Alan. So, sorry. Okay, so thirty dollars. Yeah. That's quite because when you've got people who are not earning a whole lot and to live in Moscow alone is is very expensive. It's. You know, Siskar do the same thing. They're outpressing a lot of fans. Uh, Spartak get away with it because they have huge, huge, huge following. So they're okay. Um, Zenit are doing that. They are playing economics and they just want to fill the stadium. Uh, yeah, as you know, you said the facilities are good. It's a good atmosphere. It, it's it's a, it's a good day out. So they're hoping that people will stay with it. And then they'll up the prices. So it is, it's a bit of a, it is cheating. But it's a uh, positive cheating. People are getting value for money, even if the money is very small. Yeah, and I actually would I would agree with you because you know um, the Kostovsky was actually not not the stadium itself, but the entire surroundings of the stadium, etc., was was maybe my favorite venue at the Confed Cup because you get out of the station, you walk through the park, and especially on a beautiful day, walking through that park up to the stadium. It's just the best thing because like, the anticipation of going to the game just grows inside of you. You know, that, that feeling when you see the stadium come closer and closer and closer and growing in front of you, you really 
get that there and, and um especially during the summer months like right now it's um it's that park area where you can just buy something to eat and something to drink and you can hang out before a game and hang out a bit after the game it's just a wonderful venue and the stadium itself is is fantastic you know and the, the ranks are really steep it's um a great place to watch some football and i think senate are very smart and i mean we we had uh, a little bit of a chuckle with their uh senate english account the other day you know where we we where we joked that our argentine expert expert um Nico Miramont would be sold to Senate soon because Senate are buying all these Argentinian players and they went along with it. You know, they, they, they retweeted back and forth with their official account. And that's just, that just shows, you know, how much of a forward thinking fun club that they are. You know, they're very brilliant in understanding and, and identifying what they have to do to grow as a brand, not just in Russia, but also abroad. And they're better at it than any other club. And this includes your team, Spartak, right, Tim? I mean, Spartak. I'm almost traditional in terms of marketing. They're almost relying on, you know, that old, good old support that they always had. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'll, uh, I'll give it to, like Zenith is definitely way better and way more modern in terms of their social media, in terms of their just well, the way they work with fans. Um, uh, Spartak, just, just to explain how it works, we have a very, uh, like he's a legendary press person, Leonid Trachtenberg, who was still, he worked at the team probably in the uh, 80s. So he is the head of press department. And obviously, given his age, he cannot be, you know, forward thinking and being, uh, going along with all the developments. Like even like when I watch different interviews and um, you still feel that, like, you know, like you say, the old school approach. If you look at Zenit's approach to just um, social media, it's so like you say, they are having fun. They have those amazing videos for pretty much every home game. Then they follow the team. They go in and like it's it's very it's you know they give a lot of di- different and exciting information um, and you know very creative approach to um, working with fans. So Zenit does a great job of that. Given like just this story with Nico, like when they know, like they went along with it. Like I don't see Spartak doing this because mm. it, it's and it's it, to me it's great that they're doing this. It's funny. It's it gives this little bit uh, different spin. It connects you with fans. I think that's the you know I think they're doing the right thing and definitely um, you know Zenit. I think they're ahead of um, that game in terms of just like social media. I think they're the, probably the top team in Russia. Yeah, I would go along with that. I think, you know, also when you go to St. Petersburg and you, you look at the fact that they actually have um, a fan shop downtown on the, on Nevsky Prospect. That's, um, and they had that already, I believe six, seven years ago. This is, that was, that was mind boggling to me because none of the most other Russian clubs don't even bother selling their shirts, um, through the season. You know, I went to CSKA's fan shop. Um, two years ago that they have, um, in, in the city, close to the city center, not even in the city center, close to the city center. And they didn't even have the shirts for sale because, you know, they, they, they were out. Um, that was the answer that I got. We are out, you know, and that's, that's just mind boggling, you know, and that the other teams haven't caught on to that. And that's maybe the, the final point I want to do on this podcast, Alan, is Senit the model that other clubs are following should follow and also is the needs model of filling their world cup stadium a model to go forward to to at least get the stadiums full in the in the medium term after the world cup and to ensure you know that we're not going to have white elephants in the country like we had in uh, south africa and even in brazil listen you're 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 terrible you're terrible absolutely terrible um <laughs> i got that's Oh, that's terrible because I, I won't be able to show my face again when people hear this. Um, look, Zenith, Zenith um, the model of development, the way that they they they, they are moving, um, as we the three of us agree, and not just three of us, everyone who knows Russian football will say Zenith are doing it right. Uh, from social media, especially, they're very clever. They're well ahead of the game. Um, the person who set up in train and brought in the people from outside was Ilya Gurkus, who's now, of course, the president of Lokomotiv. Mm. Um, so he's not, he's not just an ideas man, he's very open, including getting Gaelic football into Lokomotiv, for us to use the grounds and come to matches. This is, he's like, whatever gets people in, builds a family club, ideas that we can cross-marketing, that's good. Um, in, in terms of that, yes, they are a model for other clubs. I've seen it working down at 
like say Division Two in Bulgaria, yeah, I've seen it working in Podmoskovy with clubs in Volgograd. They're they're trying to copy it, um, but of course you don't have the finance. That's mm-hmm. a huge thing. Uh, Lokomotiv are plowing money back into uh, marketing, for example. Um, Spartak, I think it's brilliant that Tim brought up about uh, Leonid Trachtenberg. Now I, I met Leonid last week, and uh, Roman Zabnin had agreed to come on to our radio show next week. And uh, Liam had said, no, he's not coming on. He can't speak English. And I said, well, he's speaking English with me now. And he's like, no. So in terms of understanding what to do, I can't doubt the man who, as Tim rightly points out, is a legend in, in, in sports media here because he was the first ever press attaché for uh, a Russian sports team in the Soviet Union. So he knows his game, but... Just because you know your game doesn't mean you don't need to update and improve. So, you know, Spart- but Spartak will always do well because they, you know, they have a huge following and they, you know, they're always going to grow. And back to the stadium, um, oof. yeah, other clubs should do that. They should. They like Sarat. Well, Saransk are a mess. I mean, they're the second division right now, uh, struggling to get back up to the first division. Uh, they're playing, I think, Volkoviadis quite soon. It, it kind of like whoever wins that will probably go up to the first or the FNL next season. Um, so other clubs, yeah, I, I, I think they should follow the, the, the model and say, look, uh, we're not going to make a huge amount of money off tickets anyway. However, we'll make money off merchandise. We'll make money off people buying hamburgers or uh, butter broad or whatever it may be. That's where we get money back. And then we can impress sponsors with it, because as we know, as we know, no club is um, solvent in Russia. They all need mm. state backing, big company backing. Um, but if they are clever and get as many people in as possible, then the government will say it's a good social tool. It's a good way to promote fitness and promote community. Let's go with it. So um, you know, I'll be I'll be home for this in a way. But I I would say uh, yes. I think that the Spartak or the, sorry, the Zenith model right now for getting fans in is one very positive way to go. And I'll say that uh, Manuel Beck told me to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, that we can, we, uh, we'll make sure that that's how it comes across. Anyways, guys, we're, we're sadly out of time. This, this was a real pleasure to talk to both of you. Tim, I go to you first. What do you have to pluck this week? Uh, well, as, as ever, I'm getting ready for the uh, Rocket from Russia show, uh, the punk rock radio show, which I do in Vancouver here, and people can listen to it live on CITR.ca or uh, at my podcast, which is uh, rocketfromrussia.tumblr.com. Yeah, I'm gonna make sure to check that out. Alan, what do you have to plug this week? Well, right now, in around uh, well, 10 minutes, I'll be leaving to go into the radio station. I'm going to be following the Rocket from Russia. I'm going to have a, a follow of that listen as well. But we're on air tonight on uh, Capital Sports. And you can listen online, of course, on Anytime. And also back on SoundCloud to on uh, CapitalFM.Moscow. Uh, tonight on the show, we're going to be discussing Leonid Slutsky. We'll have um, a, the Daily Mirror uh, editor for Whole City will be talking to us about poor old Leonid, who um, you know, could be out of a job by next week. And, uh, yeah, we'll be talking about footballers' rights in Russia and generally basically like push things along. And uh, then I'll be, yeah, and then I'll be just trying to run between the raindrops. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm definitely make sure to, to listen in on that, guys. We, we actually, you had Andrew Flint on as well at some point, didn't you, Alan? Oh, yeah, we did. We got Andrew was, was very, very good. And we messed up one time a couple of weeks, but we couldn't get him on mm. uh, when we really needed him. Um, however, he's going to be back on, and I'm going to be pulling you guys in to, to speak with quite soon as well. Uh, once the sort of the the season begins to heat up, especially the Champions League, so you guys are ready to speak with us on on the live on air. We're ready, uh, absolutely, anytime. Uh, yeah, looking forward to that. So make sure to go go over and listen to Capital FM, everything Russian football. And uh, Alan, we would like to have you back as well, of course. Um, Fantastic guest. Thank you so much for being on. Well, um, I have to almost wrap it up. Just want to make sure, go over to footballgrad.com, uh, check out the, the Europa League, Champions League previews. They are all up. And, um, over at fußballstadt.com, Chris, Chris Williams, um, was at Anfield by the time this has come out, was at Anfield and he will have all the, all the highlights from the Hoffenheim Liverpool game over at fußballstadt.com. And you can follow all of that at footballgrad.live. 
Well, that's it for me for this week. Das wird an is brought to you by Nourish by Nature Made, the number one pharmacist-recommended vitamin and supplement brand. Nourish is a personalized vitamin regimen customized to you. Backed by 45 years of science, they remove the guesswork from your vitamin regimen. With thousands of happy customers, Nourish is a trusted supplement brand by many. Visit Nourish.com to create your customized package today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.